Welcome to episode 67 of the Steptoe Cyber Law Podcast, brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Thank you for joining us. We're lawyers talking about technology, security, privacy, and government. And I'm joined today by uh, uh, a newcomer uh, to the firm and to the podcast, Alan Cohn, former Assistant Secretary for Strategy Planning, Analysis, and Risk in the DHS Office of Policy, uh, the office I used to head. Uh, and uh, uh, welcome to, uh, to Steptoe and the podcast. Thank you. Uh, and uh, by Michael Battis, uh, a regular, formerly with the FBI and the Justice Department, now in our New York office. Uh, Michael, uh, good to see you again. No beard? Uh, no, it didn't grow one back over the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's discouraging is he actually could. Um, by Jason Weinstein, uh, formerly with the Justice Department, where he oversaw criminal computer crime prosecutions, among other things, and is now doing criminal and civil litigation at Steptoe. Uh, uh, Jason, how long does it take you to grow up here? Uh, longer than Michael. Yeah. But uh, I also don't have it. Okay. Uh, our guest today is Dan Gear, a computer security legend, uh, risk management specialist, and currently the chief information security officer for InQtel, uh, which is the not-for-profit venture capital firm that invests in technology to support uh, the intelligence community and other parts of the U.S. government. And finally, uh, I'm Stuart Baker, formerly with NSA and DHS and holding the record for returning to Steptoe to practice law more times than any other lawyer. Uh, uh, so let's jump in. Uh, uh, Michael, I, I uh, know you appreciate me not asking you what the story of the week is because you're sick of it. Uh, uh, and I am also bringing back this week in NSA for at least one more week for the legislative update. Uh, um, Pretty short uh, uh, update at this point. Uh, the House has passed the USA Freedom Bill, uh, uh, which kills the uh, uh, bulk data uh, metadata program that the NSA has been running to try to find uh, uh, calls to terrorist numbers uh, from the United States. Uh, uh, and uh, the Senate has done, well, nothing. Uh, it's... Um, Still uh, debating uh, the trade uh, treaty, uh, did uh, a lot of Iran work uh, recently. Uh, it has three or four legislative days uh, uh, to uh, take up the USA Freedom Bill, to take up uh, Senator McConnell's, Majority Leader McConnell's uh, proposal just to extend the program as is, uh, or at least for a couple of months to, uh, to take more time to do this right. Uh, and then, uh, um, uh, people who hate the program are hoping to kill it and to kill all of 215 by letting the clock run out. Uh, uh, and, uh, people who like the program are struggling to find some, uh, uh, tweaks to USA Freedom that will make it a little less hostile to actually, you know, uh, gathering information about terrorists. Uh, um, we will not see any movement on uh, USA Freedom, I don't think, Jason, unless you have a different view, until Wednesday at the earliest, uh, at which point this is all going to come to the floor. Some people will uh, filibuster, uh, uh, grand drama will ensue, right? Yeah, and I, I think it, what will be interesting to see is is whether Mitch McConnell softens or changes his position on continuing the program as is. I mean, he's kind of tilting at windmills, uh, saying that he wants to extend the program as is and, and opposes the USA Freedom Act when, uh, I think, but for that opposition, it would probably pass the Senate in some form and, and have a legitimate uh, shot at being signed. 
Yeah, it, uh, something like it got 58 votes, uh, in a Democratic Senate, uh, um, and I think, uh, um, he's disinclined to just pick up something that the Democrats left behind, uh, uh, like an abandoned toy when they lost control of the Senate, but, uh, uh he's got, uh, serious Republican opposition as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, no one knows what will happen. Uh, uh, somebody, uh, a journalist asked me for my best guess, and I said the best outcomes that I think are plausible are a, a two-month extension or a, uh, a tweak to USA Freedom that uh, does away with some of the dumber parts of uh, the bill, uh, the most uh, security-hostile parts of the bill. Uh, but I think it's entirely possible this whole thing just falls apart. They can't do anything. The House says, uh, oh, the Senate, they, don't, they, they, they never get their homework done in time. We're going out. If they haven't, if they haven't adopted our bill, then um, to hell with it. Uh, the whole uh, 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 the deadline can come and go, and we'll think about this when we get back. I think that's possible, too. So I am certainly calling my congressman, congresswoman, who uh, uh, voted for USA Freedom in a uh, fit of bad judgment, uh, uh, so that if they go away, I'll, I'll get to spend uh, some quality time with her uh, during the recess. Uh, okay, uh, border laptop searches. Back in the news, Michael, you looked at that case, right? Yeah, a very strange decision. Um uh, involving search of a laptop of a person who was suspected of being involved in a plot to illegally export defense equipment to Iran. And it's a long, convoluted uh, opinion in which the judge is basically animated by a dislike for the border search doctrine and decides for various reasons that uh, the government's search of the laptop was, was unconstitutional. Um, I think the, probably the most uh, important aspect of the decision is, is uh, it's another uh, example of how the Supreme Court's decision in Riley is affecting all sorts of Fourth Amendment jurisprudence because courts that are so inclined now will cite Riley for the notion that, hey, these are different, you know, digital devices are different from other sorts of things that law enforcement might search because of all the, the personal data that's on them. And so we have to be more protective of them. And so that was part of the theme throughout this this 44-page decision. Yeah, Alan, uh, you just come from DHS. DHS is the um, lead, uh, well, they're the border agency, uh, although uh, it's often the FBI that does the searches or the DEA. Um, it, what's the thinking inside the uh, uh, department about uh, where they stand on borders, uh, searches of laptops. Are they enthusiastic about it? Do they think they're uh, likely to lose the authority? Well, I think that the question that you asked is, is really the question for this case, which is what is the government thinking pushing this case? This is, uh, this is not the case where you want to get the district court going on all of these Riley questions. This is an outbound search case. Um, and, and border search is really all about admissibility, but I think it shows. So the I basic... actually, the, the outbound thing is important yeah. because all of the justifications for laptop searches and really for the border search in general are 
we don't want people to come into our country with bad stuff, or we don't want bad people to come into our country, and we can tell whether they're bad by looking at their laptop, but uh, neither of those uh, um, justifications really works very well on the way out. And I think that's really why is the government pushing this, and it shows what the prevailing thinking is, which is we're not going to give an inch on this, uh, on the border search exemption, and I think that that they're going to have to think a bit about that, uh, especially because Riley is a real vulnerability point for them on the actual border search authority, the real admissibility border search authority question. Jason, did you see a lot of this when you were at uh, DOJ? Yeah, and and particularly in the wake of uh, um, you, you know the the trend that that Michael and Alan are talking about with Riley actually started back in the Ninth Circuit in the CDT case. You know, there, there's been a trend for at least six or seven years now of courts being increasingly uncomfortable with the particular uh, perceived privacy implications of, of searches of electronic devices, and it's affected the use of all kinds of law enforcement techniques. Uh, it's affected, you know, doctrines like the border search doctrine, which were previously uh, essentially unchallenged, that there's a, a reduced expectation of privacy for all the reasons you, you both alluded to. Uh, and and I think that it's really caused prosecutors uh, increasingly over the last few years to have to play defense, um, uh, you know, because they now have to defend uh, techniques and uh, and doctrines that they have come to rely on um, that that they didn't think were were likely to be challenged, and it's created real opportunities for defense lawyers who have exploited them at every turn. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, we saw this coming uh, at the tail end of the Bush administration when people started making border searches of laptops a a big thing, and I'm struck by the extent to which basically you can lobby the judiciary. Um, it, the judiciary is the reading branch of uh, government. They read the papers. They read stuff. Uh, and if you can influence what they read, then you've got a good shot at changing uh, uh, constitutional law. And, and I think that's what EFF and CDT really spent a lot of time on, is changing the climate, trying to make it a popular issue even though there was there was no legal basis no special legal basis for this and even Riley is just sort of seizing on the idea that uh, well computers must be different so we must have different rules and, and I'm of the view that, that our old friend Mr. Snowden has contributed to this too because the um, you know I think that this trend was already in place as you said dating back to the end of the Bush administration so well before anybody outside of Snowden's house knew who Snowden was but I think the there's this per- perception, and I think it's reached the judiciary too, for the reasons you said, that uh, that the government is is overreaching, uh, and and every available opportunity, and a lot of stuff that is not overreaching at all, that uh, is based on sort of time honored constitutional analysis, is being lumped in with, you know, what people perceive the NSA or, or intelligence agencies to have done. I think some of that is affecting judges' uh, temperament in, in these cases as well. Yeah, because they, cause they're reading the papers. Uh, uh, I'm glad somebody is. Uh, okay. Um, uh, now, I, in a in a moment of uh, uh, incestuous uh, self-reference, uh, uh, a, a FOIA case, a Freedom of Information Act case, has been filed against the FTC seeking uh, access, uh, asking them to produce all of the guidance uh, that they use to determine whether people have... Uh, um, violated uh, the expected security standards in pr- protecting consumer data. Um, uh, that 
the case was filed uh, on behalf of Phil Reidinger, whom we know uh, on the podcast, and uh, uh, filed by uh, Steptoe and Johnson, including me. Um, basically, uh, Phil asked for that information uh, and uh, the uh, under FOIA, and the FTC said, we have no responsive documents that we can give you because everything is either privileged or in one case is public, uh, um, which is almost a caricature of what we've always said about them is that they actually do have no uh, 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 security standards uh, and they just ask, you know, what are the newspapers uh, uh, um, likely to cover? Uh, so uh, we've uh, filed the case, uh, essentially taking them up on appeal. I think it's highly unlikely that there are no documents, not a single sentence anywhere in the FTC that uh, uh, can't be re- that can be released. So uh, it will be interesting, and the lawsuit will go on for a long time. But it's gotten a surprising amount of coverage. Well, it's possible that the accurate answer could have ended with "We have no responsive documents." <laughs> <laughs> One suspects that might be the case, but we will find out. Uh, it will be. Uh, does this mean, Stuart, does this mean that if uh, someone appears as a guest on the podcast, they get free legal work from us? Because this, this, you know, this is, fills the client, but then it also greatly benefits Michael Doherty and Land MD. Yes, that's so right. He's lack of standards. Yeah, I know. Uh, it is. Um, a shocking amount of self-dealing on this uh, program, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah. So most of the people who appear on, at least the people who appear regularly here, probably need uh, pro bono legal assistance in defamation cases. Uh, but uh, uh, thus far, we haven't had to actually deliver that. Um, here's a case that I just I I, I find astonishing. Uh, Everybody remembers the guy who tweeted about hacking the planes and got arrested, and it seemed like such a grotesque uh, overreach on the part of the government. Turns out now that the search warrant uh, that they filed says uh, uh, that in in an interview he'd actually told them he had successfully hacked planes in flight and actually caused them to... uh, deviate slightly from the uh, programmed uh, uh, course, uh, which is, i got to say, pretty scary. Apparently what he did is he reached under the seat in front of him, found a a little metal box. If you're uh, listening to this uh, while uh, flying, you might look and see if there's a little metal box under the seat in front of you. If you take off the cover and have a uh, uh, electronic cable, uh, I think it's Cat 6, uh, you can just plug it in, plug it into your laptop and start messing around apparently. Uh, I don't recommend that, uh, but that's what this guy apparently did. this is clearly a CFAA violation, isn't it, uh, Jason? Yeah, well, by the way, since you're giving people advice to touch the boxes, I I would look but not touch the boxes, and I would not tweet about it. Um, <laughs> Wait, it's not a CFAA violation to touch the no, boxes. No, 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 it is not. It is not. But but it is certainly, if, if he accessed uh, the system, it's certainly, you know, accessed without authorization and to the extreme. Um, but look, this is either the... the, uh, the um, worst possible lesson someone can learn about how sarcasm doesn't travel in emails and texts, or it's something really serious. I mean, he he claims that the paragraph in the affidavit in which he is uh, quoted as having acknowledged, <coughs> excuse me, actually uh, interfering with the avionic system of a, of a previous flight, not the one he was on when he actually got engaged by law enforcement, but a previous flight, he says that was taken out of context, that he gave two lengthy interviews to the FBI. Uh, I'm not sure quite how, what the context would have been that this could have 
been uh, been misconstrued. But well, maybe he uh, did it. Maybe he did it in the lab. Well, he does he does acknowledge he did it in the lab, and he's told the press that in a number of occasions. Says he's never done it in a real flight. They certainly got the impression that when they walked away from the interview that he did it in a real flight. Um, and you know, if he did, obviously it's a serious situation, and it's one that frankly does violence to the work of of legitimate researchers <laughs> who managed to do the research without actually putting people at risk. And if it's if it is a, a misunderstanding, then it's a really painful and complicated one. Yes, uh, uh, Alan. Um, it- DHS uh, is in charge of protecting flights from acts of terrorism and maybe stupidity, too. Uh, uh, are they going to be trying to get the book thrown at this guy? Well, I would think that, that DHS would want to get the book thrown at this guy, but I think the, the bigger danger here is the is the danger of everybody saying, wait, 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 we can't allow this to keep going. Because right now we're thinking about, you know, there's a lot of thought about expanding the ability of passengers to, to be connected on airplanes and this is exactly the kind of thing that makes everybody say, wait, we need to study this for a couple more months, years, fill in the blank. Right, right. Well, the FAA is pretty good at taking years for all of that. Uh, uh, Michael, any real, thoughts I mean, on this? The, yeah, the, the, to me, the, the, the real scandal, if this is true, is that the avionics on an airplane are, are not air-gapped from the the in-flight entertainment system and and the communication system which he apparently uh, could also access. I mean, how is it how is it possible that these systems have been built in a way that this is even conceivable? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, my guess is incrementally. Uh, that's how this happens, as you say. But the best way to do this is we have to be able to talk to the passengers, we have to be able to interrupt their uh, entertainment for announcements, and the announcements also have to uh, go from the pilot to the co-pilot, so we've got to put them on the same system, and then, you know, uh, that's my guess, is that uh, they weren't thinking about the possibility of hacking, because at the time it seemed implausible. But yes, uh, uh, the United Airlines has come along just in time to start offering bounties on uh, 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 successful hacks of their systems, although I, I gather that does not include in-flight hacks, thank goodness. Uh, uh, so uh, two uh, uh, items that I ought to cover, uh, the... Uh, uh, the U.S. has not completely spinelessly ignored the attack on GitHub, uh, uh, as I might have implied uh, uh, in the last uh, um, uh, show. Uh, they actually have gone to the Chinese and said, you said you would uh, investigate these attacks. Um, uh, so could you investigate this one? It's like, uh, since we all know it was the Chinese government who launched that attack, uh, asking them to investigate is just just a way of saying, uh, we're, we'd like to embarrass you now. Uh, would you stand still so we can embarrass you? Uh, it would be interesting to see what the Chinese say and how long it takes them to come back with an answer. Not a particularly uh, uh, tough reaction, but maybe the beginning of what could turn out to be a tougher reaction. Uh, um, Alan, uh, uh, you sat in on, uh, you probably sat in on some of the Sony discussions. Uh, what do you think the real options are for the government here? Well, it's tough in this instance because, you know, the evidence points back at the Chinese government, where there are Chinese... Oh, beyond doubt. Yes. yes. Where there's Chinese non-state actor potential, you have the ability to say, look, I want you to to investigate, which the U.S. government has, and I want you to do X, Y, and Z, and forcing them to come back and say, I've done X and Y. We have uh, The U.S. government hasn't really gone to that next stage of saying, this is what I want you to do. 
which allows the Chinese to say, well, we investigated. Right. Yes. Okay. But yeah, I, I would have thought um, it would be easy, you know, knock it off. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, it is, it, it, well, you've got to be cautious with the Chinese, but the fact is they're not being cautious with us. Yeah. I, well, I, I, I still like the idea of saying uh, um, uh, we'd like you to start sending warnings to people that they're about to go to China where they could be hacked in this way, uh, and do they really want to stay on this page? Um, uh, that would certainly produce a uh, economic impact. Um, finally, um, uh, well, let's, uh, two, two other things. I, I saw, Jason, the, the FBI kind of clarified stingrays, um, their policy on stingrays, suggesting that maybe local law enforcement had... Uh, overreacted to the uh, non-disclosure agreement that the um, FBI uh, imposed on them if they wanted to get stingrays. Uh, uh, my guess is they hadn't overreacted, uh, they, um, uh, that they'd been told in no uncertain terms not to disclose this, but that that's no longer a uh, tenable position for the for the FBI. I suspect you're right. If it was one or two local law enforcement agencies that uh, reacted or overreacted, you might uh, conclude that they were misunderstanding the agreement. But the fact that it appears to be universal uh, across the country suggests that they may have been reading the agreement correctly or understanding the FBI's reading of the agreement correctly. And the FBI is now changing the way it's, it's choosing to enforce the agreement. So as you said, the FBI is now clarifying that these agreements do not preclude local police from acknowledging that they use stingrays. Um, and the FBI is also saying that they would only ask for cases to be dropped as a last resort if if the case going forward would reveal uh, substantial information about the, the the use of the device that would uh, compromise its use as a, as a technique going forward. This happens as DOJ is reviewing how federal agencies use the devices as well. Uh, and the FBI is also uh, uh, instructed agents that they should be getting a warrant for these. When, when I was... Uh, both in AUSA and then when I was overseeing CSIPs, the practice was to, to treat these as uh, to classify these legally as a pen register, and so the standard we would use was the pen register standard. Um, but of course, to make that's, clear, that's lower than a, a lower than probable cause. Right. Um, but to make clear to the judge that the reason that it's not a normal pen register, that it's a pen register for the purpose of using a stingray, and to explain what it is you're doing with it, um, my sense is that that. Uh, Transparency is not always present when people get these at the local level, but at the federal level, uh, prosecutors are, are generally very good about telling the judge what it is they're doing. Um, I suspect the DOJ will go to a guidance to prosecutors that they should get a warrant for these uh, just to eliminate this as an issue, even though legally I think they are best classified as pen registers. Always safer just go with the higher standard and get get the warrant. Uh, since we now know that these will the use of this technique will be challenged and probed, uh, by defense lawyers. So, oh, has, hasn't the FBI basically set up an, an enormous incentive to gray mail the government to, you could, to find some way to say, I think I have to understand exactly how this worked and how it impacted my wife, my uh, neighbors, uh, uh, and every if you can make if you can get a judge to, to buy that, uh, then you're going to force the dismissal of your case. And that's happening now. You've got you know cases being dismissed. You've got uh, sweetheart pleas being made to defendants to to make cases very serious cases go away for very little time to avoid uh, this gray mail problem. And you know defense lawyers go to school on what works. And what's working now is is gray mailing. I don't think that this announcement is going to prevent that from happening. Although the reality is. Some of this is a little silly. Uh, you know, it's not a secret anymore. There's been so much press coverage about this this technique. It's not a secret that that law enforcement can use it. Uh, and so I don't think that 
that uh, there are any criminals who are uh, who are unaware uh, that that uh, at least ones of any sophistication are unaware that the law enforcement can use these devices. Yeah, I think there are probably still weaknesses that uh, aren't fully appreciated uh, uh, that, uh, that the government is trying to prevent having come out uh, that would end up defeating the value of the product. Oh, and that and that's true in a lot of with a lot of types of technology, but there are ways to address it. You know, you, you uh, in camera, explained to the judge exactly wh- what it is you did and how you used it and what you're doing with the data you, you collected from it. Um, and uh, and the fact that you use the device is disclosed in court so people can incorporate right. that into whatever their evidentiary challenges are without getting into the details of the kind of detail that would actually alert other criminals to the sources and methods. All right. Uh, uh, and I... Uh, the- Two final uh, 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 things. Uh, I spoke over the weekend to uh, Professor uh, Charlie Dunlap, who is a uh, Duke professor, teaches uh, national security law, who told me that he has assigned the podcast to his students to listen to. Uh, um, so uh, uh, with that in mind, I, those of you uh, who are listening at Duke, uh, uh, he's going to ask you, what the magic word was, and the magic word is abracadabra. So uh, if you don't know that, you are not going to pass his course. Uh, um, but I'm delighted to discover that he's uh, uh, assigned us, uh, although a little uh, daunted by that. Uh, and finally, it is uh, the one-year anniversary of the most misbegotten judicial decision of the last Ten years, the European uh, Court of Justice's right to be forgotten uh, uh, decision. Um, it's been marked by Google uh, releasing new statistics uh, showing that uh, even though they don't want to be making the decision, no one else is making the decision, and they're liable if they don't take stuff down. They've been making those decisions. They've taken down hundreds of thousands of links. Uh, uh, even though they only grant um, about 40% of the requests. Uh, um, it's uh, And the, naturally, the Europeans uh, uh, want the issue more than they want the result. Uh, so the Article 29 Working Party is insisting that Google is doing it all wrong and that they should be censoring what you and I read in the United States as well as what Europeans are allowed to read. Uh, uh, and uh, that... Uh, debate continues between um, Google and uh, the EU. The U.S. once again completely uh, out of uh, 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 the debate hasn't done anything, as far as I know, to stand up for the First Amendment rights of Americans uh, to be able to read what Google.com uh, says without the Europeans deciding to uh, uh, to censor it. Uh, um, so we will wait to see whether the uh, the U.S. government de- develops the ability to uh, to say no to Europe. Um, we're out of time. Uh, we're going to move now to our interview with Dan Gear. Our guest today uh, is Dan Gear. Dan's uh, a legend in uh, computer security. He's been giving speeches on cybersecurity uh, uh, for as long as I've been in the field. I think uh, we were first on a uh, an FTC uh, 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 working group on privacy and digitization, uh, and Dan delivered a paper to that. But 
was one of the most thoughtful and eloquent uh, uh, contribution that was made. Uh, I brought the cookies. Uh, and uh, I, uh, Dan uh, was telling me he got started uh, uh, building Kerberos, uh, which is still probably uh, uh, deployed in more uh, computers than almost any other program. So uh, long history. Uh, uh, Dan, welcome. Thank you. Uh, your the speech you gave that I thought would be fun to talk about is the speech about realpolitik and security, uh, in which you tried out a whole bunch of uh, recommend policy recommendations and said, you know, some of these I really believe in, some of them I just guess will work. I uh, uh, and uh, I went through them. Uh, uh, it's been um, many months since you gave that speech first, and I guess I thought I'd ask for a starter. Uh, which of those recommendations you have doubts about now uh, in, in arising from the experience of the last few months? The, the doubt part, I, doubts about what I would like to happen, not so much. Doubts about the probability of it happening, rather a lot. Okay, uh, okay. And so, you know, whichever way you want to talk about that. Um, the speech was, for your listeners, was uh, the keynote at Black Hat last mm-hmm. uh, August. And it's been downloaded a couple hundred thousand times just from my side. I don't know about Black Hat's side. I assume a large number as well. So it's obviously gotten some reading. Um, I haven't gotten a mountain of feedback um, except of the sort where someone says, you made an error on this line. Ah, right. Or you made uh, – or this all of it's good except this point is crazy. Uh, that, I'm, uh, that I'm used to, and I don't right. mind it. Um, but there's something about people in cybersecurity that has a certain perfectionist quality. Oh, for uh, sure. And and giving a speech that, as you say, covers ten policy areas just invites the perfectionist to show up. Yeah. So I've had a lot of that. Uh, in terms of which ones do I think are most important, that's a little hard. I th- I think honestly the most important one um, is probably the one I led with, which is the question of um, reporting of Mandatory events. reporting. Mandatory of reporting events. of events. I, I have a biostatistics background. At one point, I thought I would work for the CDC, life intervened, and right. so forth. But I think that one might be the most, if we want to argue about one where I feel strongly, I might. I, 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 I kind of agree with you that uh, um, we're not going to know how bad it is until we start getting reporting, although the reporting is always going to be bad because many of the victims don't even know they're victims. Uh, That's correct. Uh, or can't tell what happened. Uh, um, this is the kind of thing that I would expect the privacy lobbyists to demagogue, right? They'd say, oh, my God, you're going to tell the government the government's going to spy on you. I, uh, but I, I, have you gotten that reaction or not? The, the, the mandatory reporting comes with, as you suggest, people who say the side effects are intolerable. I heard a lecture at Harvard a long time ago where the, the lecturer, whose name I wish I could remember because I would love to give credit, I've just lost it. Right. But it was the four verities of government. Most important ideas are not uh, exciting. Most exciting ideas are not important. Not every problem has a good solution. All solutions come with side effects. Yeah. And this one is one that comes with side effects. As you suggest, one of them is that if you're reporting uh, um, security events, you almost surely will end up reporting people's details. Of course. Ec- just as a if, matter of course. If, if you were attacked with a particular email uh, that, that sent you the malware, then you're going to be reporting that email. Address. If you check into the hospital, you have medical privacy, unless you have 
Shagadasis or smallpox or Chicken typhus. Uh, right. There's a, there's a list yeah. where medical privacy is a wonderful thing, but public health comes first. You lose. Everybody's coming. Right. And I think the same thing applies here. In fact, the proposal I made was that we have a negotiation. This is where, Stuart, you might come in, is we have some negotiation about a water line above which it gets reported, below which right. it doesn't. We'd have to have a, a, you know, a political fist fight over where that line is, but, um, I don't see how we can't have, I, I don't see how we can learn from error if we don't know about them. Right. Right. Well, a, and I suppose you can, you can solve some of the ignorance problem by having people who see the results of the compromise mm -hmm. uh, reported as opposed to the person who's Compromised, uh, sure. Uh, but uh, I think didn't you tell me one time you had uh, used to get uh, uh, phone calls from an empty uh, oil yes. uh, 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 drum that said, "Hey, I'm empty." And, and well, it took us a long time to figure out what this was and why it called as often as it did, and we couldn't make it go away. And uh, <laughs> you know, eventually one thing led to another, and it was an empty oil drum that an empty oil tank in a, in a building that wasn't in use but still had the electricity on that want. No, it didn't even have the electricity on because that was still when telephones were battery oh, powered from right. the central office. That's right. Which, of course, is not the case now. Your, the light power goes out and so does your phone. Um, it took us a long time to find that out. And it was just what Cliff Stahl, if you remember him. Yes. Remember how he got started? He found a 50 cent uh, discrepancy. 75 cent. 75. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, he found a 75 cent discrepancy in an accounting system at the Smithsonian Observatory, and you say to yourself, who cares? And the answer is, well, that's where you're... That's, that's, that's where the, the perfectionism comes in. That's where the perfectionism is useful. And I, I don't know what to say about that exactly, but it's clearly an attribute of effective security people. Right. Is that they're always looking for, is that really true? That little thing that says it's nothing, is it really true? We saw that with uh, the Sony attribution, where people started posting things that says, well, there's still a, you know, point... Oh, oh, one percent chance that it's not the North Koreans, so you haven't proved that you haven't properly attributed it. That was, was weird. Well, again, security is bedeviled by people who want you to prove a negative, yeah. which is a matter of science, is impossible, absent the very thing they don't want, which is unless you have total surveillance, you cannot say that the absence of evidence is the evidence of absence. Right. Without total surveillance. So everybody who says, I want you to prove a negative, is asking for whether they understand the logic of that or not, they're asking for total surveillance. Yeah. Well, we're going to get that, is my guess. If you look at what's happening inside corporate networks, uh, uh, the, the security tools are all about uh, uh, not a sparrow falls, but we mm -hmm. know it. Mm -hmm. Well, and they all start with the premise that uh, uh, normal is safe and therefore all anomalies are to be right. dealt with. Which, which I suppose applied to society is a little more chilling than. Well, uh, I don't know how many, uh, I don't know how many anomalies there are on the day that you decide to take a snapshot of your system and call it normal and therefore safe. All right. Well, or maybe it's just that you say, well, you know, I, better the devils I know that are yes. already in my system. Well, that's true. That's ones. true. That's true. Chris Wysopel, um, um, at Vericode once remarked, and I think he was dead right, which is that uh, most home, most small-scale computers that are in botnets are probably better managed than they were before because before they didn't keep the botnet out, and now the botmasters are jealous of their property. And they'll, they'll, and they'll, they'll kick, kick the rest of them out. Yes, that's right. So they're probably better managed. Right. I've, I've, I've had people tell me uh, that they've watched some of the 
PLA hackers uh, improve the efficiencies of networks in order to uh, make sure that uh, their downloads went Absolutely. more effectively. Absolutely. So uh, we've got net neutrality now. You talked about net neutrality and said, uh, really, we ought to give the carriers a choice. They can either uh, distinguish among the uh, um, the traffic, and then they're responsible for ensuring its uh, propriety, or they can say, yeah, I want an immunity from that, but then they have to just charge by the bit. And uh, it, it, That's a little two-by-two two table, and it seems to me I only wanted one of those two squares. You can't have... I'm immune to everything, and I can charge whatever I feel like. Right. Um, I think that's we're going to we're going to end up in an area where you are they are regulated um, and told they have to charge by the bit, but also told they have to distinguish between good and bad. And, and that's that's nuts. I mean, both both of those off diagonal, if you will, right, in the two by two table, both of the off diagonals are nuts. They're yeah. just nuts. I don't know what else to say. I mean, we I can define nuts in some elaborate way, but they're nuts. So I let me, I mean, let try, me try try applying that to the postal service, or you know. But let me let me propose it as a government policy, right? The government says we want to regulate these guys to achieve a popular result, which is uh, uh, no uh, differentiation in price. At the same time that we want to achieve another popular result, which is keeping bad traffic off of the internet. So I, it, it seems to me from a political point of view, that's what we're going to get. Oh, I'm sure that's true. I'm sure that's true. I, I, I don't doubt that at all. Uh, this being the U.S., where most of the, almost all the critical infrastructure is privately owned, the natural result is to deputize the private actors. Mm-hmm. And it's no different than the Wild West where, you know, if you see the sheriff coming, you better hide because otherwise you're in the posse whether you wanted to be or not. And it's, <laughs> yes. it's exactly that. It's, it's deputizing against the will. And the same was true. We can, we can argue the value of it altogether, but the same was true with the telephone metadata collection. It's true of a lot of things. Um, sorry. The price of allowing you to get this big is you have to be an agent of us. Right. And, and if you don't like that, then stay either, small. <laughs> either stay small or if you're the public, stop demanding things that can only be achieved that way. Right. Right. But I mean, it's, it's easy. Uh, and I think we saw this with net neutrality. Um, there's a point at which you just, you say, this company, these people, you saw it with financial services, uh, sometimes it's right, sometimes it's wrong. These people are bad. They have to be punished and brought into line. We will give the government the authority to punish them and bring them into line. And the, the, the authority lasts much longer than the hostility to that particular sector. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, I could wax I – I was about to say eloquent. That's, of course, not what I meant. But I could go long on – Talking about how almost all regulations punish people who are honest. Well, you live in in Rhode Island, where, where I also now have a, a house. So uh, we, we we having having seen government in Rhode Island up close, uh, it's not surprising you'd come to that conclusion. After the stadium night, after the station nightclub fire, yes. Amongst other things, the legislature uh, removed grandfathering from buildings and safety. Wow! And I have spent a vast amount of money. Achieving very little, and we have a large uh, operation, a farm operation. Right. I've spent seventy-five thousand dollars. Yeah. On alarms in a situation that alarms will not help. Right. Well, in case, add, case, in case you have a rave at your barn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Did you know an indoor riding arena is classed as a theater? Oh God, yeah. Let's just keep going. I, you know, <laughs> 
All right. Um, so uh, you gave a kind of qualified endorsement to uh, strike back. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, where do you think the line is? Uh, how would you? Well, the, the reason I think the strike back has has to have some sort of maybe hunting license is the right term. I'm not sure. Is that so obviously often the people who are aiming bad packets at you are are unwitting accomplices. Mm-hmm. They're not the actual actors in any real sense. They're, they're the people whose machines are being improved by being run by robots. Well, uh, for example, exactly, they're being improved. Or in any of the reflection attacks, it isn't even that they've been taken over by malware. They're just being right. they're just being used. Um, so, I would like to think that those who were go- who were going to strike back had sufficient skill and current intelligence that they the collateral damage could be at least quote minimized unquote. Mm-hmm. If I just start shooting at everybody who's sending me bad packets, I will clearly... Oh, oh that, that would be a disaster. I clearly hit people right. who are unworthy of being hit. Right. So the question is, well, is there any situation in which uh, private actors uh, ought, to, ought to help? And I think DHS, Microsoft was an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was an example of effective, effective use. Um, there are not that many of them, I don't think. Um, and I, perhaps they should be reserved for um, real opponents, uh, and I don't mean just the PLA. Right. Uh, Gary Warner, who's a professor at the University of Alabama, uh, Birmingham, um, they have a, a little spin-out company that had a fascinating um, um, result, which was after serious traceback, they conclude that there are perhaps 10 gangs in the world that are responsible for the majority of the malware. Right. Only 10. And I I had never heard what the uh, the cardinality right. of that was. If it's ten thousand, it's hard to it's hard to deal with it. If we, it's we ten, had, we had Trolls Erting, who's the uh, top cyber cop in Europe, on, and he said, you know, there's probably two hundred people who who are capable of writing most of these exploits. Uh, it's a it's a surprisingly small group. That's a manageable number. Yes, if I may say so. Um, and I think. When you're, if you're really down to 10 or 200 individuals or 10 organizations, that's something where you can get inside their head. Yeah. If it's 10,000, you can't get inside their head because there's too many of them. Right. And I don't just mean the number. I mean too many variations on the theme. Right, right. right. This is like the composer that's only got three melodies. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. We, we have, uh, we've let these guys set up and, and, you know, increasingly as they make enough money, they, um, they have government protection of one sort or another. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it, it will turn out to be pretty hard. But I, I, I sort of agree with you that, uh, we can, uh, we could do a lot more and we could do a lot more if the, Folks who are the victims could use all the. Re- I mean, the resources you put in if you've been victimized, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. a month, uh, mm-hmm. uh, just trying to get these guys out of your network. Um, most people would say, "Sure, I would spend ten percent of that tracking these guys back and taking more aggressive action to make sure that they mm-hmm. uh, are caught and punished." Uh, and that is way more than the government spends. I- I talked, I, I did a little work quite a while ago with a bacteriologist, um, named Trudy Vossenar. She's, uh, Dutch living in Germany, writes in English in the, um, journal of the Centers for Disease Control mm-hmm. about, the, at the time she was writing about analogies between biology and, um, 
and cyber. And Stephanie Forrest at Union of Mexico has done the same thing. And there's a number of people who've who've done this. But something that's, that uh, Trudy said that I thought was quite interesting. She says if you look at the evolutionary tree, the further up you the further up the tree you are, the greater the percentage of your total metabolic cost is spent on self-protection, culminating in people spending 20 years of their life raising their children. Mm-hmm. And that, in her view, that as Moore's Law continues to bring dividends at an unheard of rate, a greater and greater percentage of total computing power ought to be directed toward oh, toward self-protection. Security. Yes, right, because the uh, that that's the, the lesson of nature. Yes. Okay. So that that suggests that uh, we're we're in the right field. <laughs> well, you know, um, I read a lot of stuff about automation. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been talking to a couple of uh, professorial types. Um, and they agree with the premise that cybersecurity might well be one of the hardest things to automate because of the existence of sentient opponents. Right. The physicist doesn't have sentient opponents. The right. chemist doesn't have sentient opponents. We do. And so the high rate of technologic change, which is the fabric, coupled with the fact that the sentient opponents are not just a an island to explore, like the Galapagos and mm-hmm. Mr. Darwin, they are something altogether different, that this might be the hardest intellectual profession on the planet, and as such, is likely the most durable in the face of automation. So I understand that uh, if you're into the Terminator um, uh, canon, <laughs> that Skynet was set up just last year, uh, and, and, and and this would be why it would be set up. <laughs> As you wish. And the question is, when would you notice? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I highly recommend Demon by Daniel Suarez. Oh, I love that book. Yes. I, I, I love the I love the part where oh, the, the, CEO, the CEO goes down to the uh, to the data center uh, uh, to find out why the hell they're moving money out of sales and marketing and production and into the IT department, and there's nobody there, and uh, uh, he is driven out by uh, by the yep. machine. Yeah, yep. that was yep. uh, actually. It, 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 that was the best book. The, the others, are, I think, are, are yeah. less good. Um, uh, but uh, yes, yeah, so it was. It was a lot of fun. So let me let me raise a, a, a thing that I raised with um, Bruce Schneier as well, and I, it, it's something that I find mm-hmm. just uh, wrongheaded and yet common among very smart people. Uh, you talk about the privacy problem, sure. and and you say. Well, one of the things you can do is sort of randomly use Tor and uh, 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 switch cards for uh, um, uh, customer uh, uh, customer sure. cards. And I, most of the things that you talked about as protecting privacy, I found utterly implausible. So I'll ask you, do you actually do any of those things? I pause because I don't know that I want to discuss no. <laughs> that at, at a detailed level, <laughs> okay. but I am, right. so I am rather out of the mainstream in that regard. Yes, that's right. You um, are. I, uh, had, I was one of the earliest adopters, and I mean the earliest adopters of cell phones. Um, I testified that if they w- brought in the E911 location thing, I would quit. I did. Okay. They did. I did. I don't carry one. Okay. Um, I don't accept HTML email. All right. I just filter it out. Um, I'm, um, you filter out the HTML or you filter out the emails? I reject the email. If, it has, right. if it's HTML only, I okay. reject it. Um, I actually have a little robot that rejects, and one in 30 times it sends back a note with the ominous statement that just because you didn't get another one of these doesn't mean I filtered it out. Uh, <laughs> that I didn't filter yeah. it out. Um, I, okay. I, so. t- I take great pains in a variety of ways to leave no trail. Um, 
I do not do any electronic commerce whatsoever, full stop. Um, I could keep going, but you get the okay. idea. So you, you, I, you actually have, live the... I have uh, a long list there. Right. I, I'm, I'm fast becoming a uh, an experimental subject, if that's your yeah. question. Yeah, it's very hard to live that way. It's it particularly... Well, it's only, it's only, you know, we all live that way in No, no, it's very easy but, to live that way, but the question is, what would I say to a young person? Right. Would I say to... My children are actually grown now, but let's suppose that they were 15. Um, would I say to them that skip Facebook and skip, you know, right. the whole long list of that? Could I say that? And the answer would be yes, but unless we live in a different kind of community or unless they don't want a life in the usual right. parlance, um, that's not possible. And right. I, I recognize that. I recognize that. But um, nevertheless, um, I'm a working experiment, and it's becoming more so. As time goes on, it's becoming more so. Um, I can, I wouldn't mind, I suppose, writing down all the the tricks I do, but there's a lot of them. It's okay. So I I will, I I will grant you then. Bruce, I don't think does do those things, Uh, and and it strikes me as utterly implausible for the ordinary person. Uh, Probably, I won't use anything that requires me to join and set a password. I simply won't do it. Okay. Um, And do you? I, I can understand that, uh, and and it requires a lot of uh, sacrifices, but uh, it's not really going to change the trajectory no, no, of the. No, it's not going to change the world any more than the Quakers have have managed to make warfare go away. Right, right, okay. I think there's a space though for the digital Amish. Yes. Now I will ask you a question, which is that if you're worried about cascade failure, which is the dominant question in cyber resiliency or, con- or security or whatever you want. Would we not be better off to retain manual means as alternatives because they don't have common mode failure with the rest of it? Uh, yes, I, I, I think there's a real worry here that uh, we we are becoming a monoculture of uh, for everything, uh, and it would be great to you know there are enormous efficiencies to pulling everything into a single monoculture, and then you run the risk of disastrous failure. Well, I mean, as as a good example, as as probably the best example. Auto update against right. flaws is a wonderful thing every day except the one where your opponent gains control of the auto update. Right. Even for a short period of time. And that is pull up the ladder, I'm up. Right. You know, if that were to happen, and I think we've come close once, but of course who would report that? Right. Go, going back to the original point about reporting, who right. would report that? But in an auto update regime, Sandy Clark at UPenn has a very interesting, uh, um, demonstration. She's one of Matt Blaze's students, mm-hmm. uh, called the honeymoon effect, which has to do with there is in fact a finite time that the opponents need to reverse engineer new software. Oh, As such, that, that's the honeymoon. If you roll, if you roll your software slightly more often than that, you keep <laughs> them on their heels. Right. And all the rapid release stuff, like the Chrome guys are doing, and so right. forth, f- inadvertently falls into that category, which okay. is if you roll your software often enough. Um, it is not possible for the opponent to keep up unless it is something that is, as you would say, um, a monoculture. Um, Heartbleed was mm-hmm. an example. If something's in a standard and everybody implements the standard, even if the implement- implementations are themselves distinct, you still have a common flaw. Right. Uh, Marsh Ray discovering uh, the TLS handshake uh, mm-hmm. problem, for example. There's a bunch of those, but there's not an unlimited number of those. And all I'm getting at is... It is difficult to harden the environment without embrittling it. Right. No, I, and so what's a practical way 
to build in resilience and diversity uh, without <clears throat> uh, essentially paying four times as much for the same service? I don't know the answer <clears throat> to that. I wish I knew the answer to that. I don't know. Um, why are there why are there only I believe two ASN one ASN dot one compilers and the answer is because it's horribly complex and why would you want another one? Right. Um, back to the what I don't do I don't use JavaScript. Yeah, I've had no. trouble. I've had a lot of trouble with Google. Uh, uh, for some reason, uh, um, Chrome. Uh, defeats a lot of the script no uh, the HTTP uh, archive says that the average web page the average web page now contains 15 out references to other domains um, and uh, has five times the JavaScript byte count as HTML right so you are downloading five times as much code as you are content so as Mitya Kolsek who's a researcher in Croatia uh, I'm sorry um, uh, Slovenia uh, Slovenia said um, the, the client has become the server's server yeah. Um, and that's actually true. It's, it's quite true. Um, I have a couple of older computers that can't keep up anymore. Uh, that, even if I were not the fanatic that I am, um, the uh, JavaScript uh, uh, burn would be too heavy for it to do any other effective activities. So, so do you never let JavaScript run? Or do you, do you make exceptions as necessary? Once in a while, I'll make an exception, particularly when it's job-related. Right. Yeah, because it's very hard to to, to it's hard to dodge. get the content. Yeah. It's hard to dodge, and in fact, um, it's getting harder, particularly under the influence of attempting to make um, the 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 trend toward majority of web views are on mobile devices with small screens. Right, um, requires a degree of local um, code running to to fit to geometry and so forth that. Um, it's getting harder. I mean, there are a lot of pages you go to them now, and they're cut off left, right, and sideways if you're not running a script. So um, what um, China did with the uh, the Great Canon, uh, um, injecting JavaScript. Pretty clever, so, huh? Yeah, that was clever. But That's uh, almost as clever as the guy with the first guy with the uh, fake ATM in a shopping mall. Yes, yes. It's uh, almost as clever. Yeah. So I, it, there's no real way to address that then no. Uh, no, no, from a technical not. point of view. There's not. One could argue that JavaScript in a website is the ultimate uh, rapid, frequent release. Right. Because you don't cache that. Right. It just shows up. Every time. Yeah. And um, there's honestly, that's where personalization is going. Right. Um, and if you like personalization, that's wonderful because it is getting increasingly possible to completely personalize your view of the world. Yeah. Uh, if you don't like that, well, then it's getting increasingly difficult to get it unexpurgated. Right. And um, it depends on your view. Well, there's no, there's nothing unex. There, there, the world, unless you absorb the entire world, you're never going to like. Get well, you get what I'm, you get what I'm saying. Yes, uh, but the, you, 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 you won't get challenged. Your, yeah. your belief system will never be challenged. All right. So, uh, other things that you said, I thought uh, uh, the uh, uh, internet voting. Where is this coming from? What do we have to do to kill this I don't idea? Know. It's I don't nuts. Know. Maybe maybe all the white hats should do something and simply take over an election to prove that you can and let it go with that. You know, it's almost like there's a, a necessity for public sacrifice here. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, call I'm call just, for a volunteer. Who, yeah. who, will, who will go to jail to end this? Yeah. That, but that's you know that maybe that's that's worth doing. Uh, uh, but it won't be me. So, uh, but I will defend them. Uh, Excellent. Uh, that's a deal. All right. Uh, I'll find you a victim. You 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 do the defense. That's great. <laughs> okay. Right to be forgotten. I boy, I couldn't agree with you less. Uh, I understand I, that. Uh, uh, finding 
a regulatory right to be forgotten is it's, crazy. Yeah, a regulatory right to be forgotten is, is, is a problem. I, I guess what I'd really like is a right to be unobserved, but I don't know how to fix that because the amount of observ- observability now is getting to be quite mm-hmm. uh, remarkable. And what I think that is hard to understand unless you're in the business is that the power of data fusion, taking results from multiple sources, um, is, is, well, actually Bruce Schneider said that mm-hmm. in one of his pieces where he talked about if I have 10 sources and I add an 11th, is that a linear sum or is it an exponent oh, right. in an equation? Which way does it go? Right. Is it, is it ever steeper with each new uh, data source? Or is it a ramp, like a mm-hmm. like a handicap ramp on the mm-hmm. street? Is it mm-hmm. just one more? It's just a little taller, or is it curving upward? And I happen to think it's curving upward. And the question then, because you know I have some intelligence background, um, and so when I say right to be forgotten, it's more like right to be unobserved. And if I can't get that, well, could I maybe insist that whatever you observed, I would ask you now to forget? That would be swell. But uh, I'm not. I'm not unrealistic here uh, if you want to call it romantic you can okay i, I and i do uh, that's well uh, all right so we're uh, we're closing in on the uh, the end of the program uh, other things that you talked about uh, abandonment basically saying if you uh, uh, abandon your your software you need to also open source it Plausible, but not likely to happen, is my guess. Plausible, but not likely to happen. Uh, convergence, I thought, was really interesting. Uh, uh, requiring, this is sort of one way of getting to uh, a, uh, a certain amount of um, uh, multiple sources and resilience by saying, show us that you can actually continue to function if you're a critical infrastructure provider uh, uh, without the Internet. I, I wrote a, a different piece on that where I, I went to some elaborate length about analogizing stress tests in finance mm-hmm. in this case and what might that look like and I will give you the URL I can't just recite it off the top of my head but I'll give you the URL for that okay all right anything else that you wanted uh, to uh, um, talk about from this or more recent uh, 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 speeches well there's not time left um, I guess I, I would point people at the, I was I was asked to predict the future at a, an oh, event cool. at Georgetown yep um, two weeks ago today. And I tried doing that. Of course, anybody who predicts the future can only be wrong. It's almost impossible yeah. to be right. Um, so in, in the sense of inviting further sniping, yeah, well, you know, maybe I have a weakness for that. But <laughs> the, uh, the Georgetown talk, um, might also be of interest because I feel like that's of the category of prove me wrong. Right. Okay. Prove, prove me wrong. We will uh, we'll link to it in the okay. uh, in the show notes. Uh, uh, so thank you so much for coming. Do uh, you have any speeches coming up besides the ones you just talked about? Um, yeah, but one of them hasn't been announced. But it's okay. probably uh, it's. I, I will I will give you the pointer to it. All right, sounds good. Uh, and uh, just to close off, uh, uh, the Cyber Law Podcast is open to feedback. Uh, you can send uh, uh, your remarks and comments to cyberlawpodcast at steptoe.com or leave us a voicemail message at 202-862-5785. This has been Episode 67 of the Steptoe Cyber Law Podcast, brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Uh, thank you again. Uh, we have a, a live event coming up on May 21 at the Isanova Chapter in McLean, Virginia, from 5.30 to 8, and we hope you'll join us there and here online uh, as we once again provide insights into the latest events in technology, security, privacy, and government.